0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. (laughs) listen to uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts if you dare this is the Los Angeles City cast with Danielle Alvari presented by Bed Rivers. Hey there, and welcome into your Monday edition of the Los Angeles CityCast, presented by Bett River Sportsbook. I'm your host, Danielle Alvari. It is another beautiful Monday in Los Angeles. In today's show, we finally have some NFL to talk about again because the NFL draft went on, obviously, over the weekend, starting last Thursday. So we'll talk about how the Chargers and the Rams are looking after all the dust has settled. Then we'll get into the MLB. Of course, the Angels in action early on Monday. So uh, if you were listening to this Monday morning, still time to get your action in. If not, then there's still some good information for you as the Angels are wrapping up their series versus the White Sox. Game 4 of 4. Again, 11, 10 a.m. start on Monday for that one. But then the Dodgers will be in action on Tuesday and it's a great matchup. It is a storied matchup. Giants at the Dodgers. Game one of two here. Giants coming off of a... Let's just say a weekend where they struggled uh, with a lot of different factors thrown in. But um, always exciting to see these two teams go head-to-head, so we'll look at that. And then part three of this will be Kings at Oilers. NHL playoffs start, and the Oilers and the Kings are in action in Game 1 on Monday. But first things first, we always check out the Los Angeles Lions, available at Bat River Sportsbook. So let's start with the MLB. Dodgers, no updates on the futures as of now. Still plus 475 to win the World Series, minus 250 to win the NL West, and plus 225 to win the NL. Honestly, speaking of the Giants, a little bit of action on Giants to win the NL West while you got it because right now they seem like they're kind of in a downturn, and that's to do with a lot of other mitigating factors, so maybe the books haven't necessarily accounted or have accounted for that and haven't really adjusted the odds for that reason. But, I mean, they're plus 425 in the National League West odds right now. And like I said, Dodgers minus 250. So if there's values to be found in these odds, I think Adam Burke and I talked about this last week. It would be to look for the Giants. I mean, they won 107 games last year, and that was not by accident. So something interesting. Uh, Like I said, the Dodgers back in action uh, on Tuesday. They'll They'll be hosting the Giants. No odds for that one just yet. But the Angels... Their odds, uh, a little bit of movement, actually, as, uh, as their recent string together of a bunch of wins. So no surprise to see a little bit of shift here. The Angels were 350, plus 350 to win the AL West just last week, now plus 275. I think they've impressed people with how they've looked against the White Sox so far. And also their American League's odds shifted as well on Bat Rivers. This was 15-1, to now down to 11-1. As for the World Series, they were 33 to 1 last week, now 25 to 1. So a little bit of movement. Uh, they are back in action, like I said, Monday morning, 11, 10 a.m. Pacific time versus the White Sox game four. The Angels are plus 108 on the money line, White Sox minus 125. As for the run line, the Angels plus one and a half runs is sitting at minus 200. And the White Sox minus one and a half runs plus 160. The total for this one sitting at seven and a half, quite a low total we'll get into that um and of course nhl as i mentioned kings at oilers going on on monday game one the kings are plus 170 on the money line so definitely not favored here and the oilers minus 139 as for the puck line here the kings minus 200 to get uh, an extra an extra goal for them And on the puck line for the Oilers, plus 118. The total for this, six and a half, juice to the under, if you can believe it. And remember, it's hockey playoff time, and Bet Rivers has a special offer through the entire NHL playoffs. Throughout playoffs, place a three same-game parlays of $10 or more on each round, and you receive a $10 free bet at the conclusion of each round. Think of it as a betting hat trick, if you will. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Create your ideal combo with same-game parlays on the BetRivers app or at BetRivers.com. As for the NFL odds, we have to talk about these before we start talking about how the draft looked and went for the Rams and Chargers. So the Rams... Last we checked just about a week ago, Rams were plus 150 on Bet Rivers to win the NFC West. 10 cent move here, so plus 140 now. As for their NFC odds, those were 550 down to 5 to 1, so ever so slightly shifting. And their Super Bowl odds were 12 to 1, down to 11 to 1. So, yes, perhaps taking some action at Bet Rivers on the Rams. Also, some other uh, markets you can look into for the Rams on BetRivers: Rivers, Stafford to win regular season MVP, Matt Stafford, 17 to one. Uh, I wonder if Justin Herbert's going to be shorter. Spoiler alert: He is. He's much shorter. Uh, and then Aaron Donald also to win Defensive Player of the Year. Leader in the clubhouse for that one at six to one. Win totals for the Rams right now at Bet Rivers ten and a half, and it's slightly juiced to the under. So if you like them winning eleven games or more, you can get a little plus money on that right now. As for the Chargers, plus two forty to win the AFC West, eight to one to win the AFC. And sixteen to one to win the Super Bowl. Now there's those Justin Herbert to win the regular season MVP odds at eleven to one. So again, Stafford was seventeen to one. Herbert sitting at eleven to one. And then as for Defensive Player of the Year, Joey Bosa twenty five to one. And the win total for the Chargers. 10 sitting at 10 so rams at 10 and a half and chargers at 10 uh, pretty even on both sides we'd minus 115 on both sides for that chargers win total but that's a much more friendly number that solid 10. you can find all these odds and more at bat river sports bug now let's talk about the draft so the rams picked eight times throughout the draft in three days <laughs> you may not have noticed any on day one that was a that was a chill day for me there was one chargers pick and that was about it um also Drake London in case you missed it that was my one draft bet Drake London to go under 10 uh 10 and a half and he did go eighth to the Falcons scary him and Kyle Pitts but like I say bet what you know I follow the Pac12 I saw Drake London I said that's a top 10 receiver and the Falcons thought so too boom that cash I think it was plus 125 when I got it um so went 100% on my draft bets just you know just throwing that out there uh back to the Rams here though who did pick uh, a UCLA player, by the way, as did the Chargers. So keeping it local, we like to see that. Um, They didn't get a first pick until 104 was for the Rams. Um, And they ended with the second to last selection in the seventh round. Um, So here's what they got. Five defensive backs, uh, including that trade with Cleveland for Troy Hill. Um, They also got a running back, offensive lineman, and a raw edge rusher. Yeah. So something to look forward to here. Um, The offensive lineman expecting to start right away. Uh, So no surprise here. That's probably their best pick. Logan Bruss inside offensive lineman. um, Went in the third round, number 104, from Wisconsin. Uh, McVay and Steed said that they expect him to compete immediately for the starting right guard position, Um, which is great because – That was exactly who they needed. That was who was available on the board. Um, But there were other picks made as well that were also interesting to look at. Jacoby Durant, cornerback, fourth round uh, from South Carolina State. Um, They also added Troy Hill, as I mentioned, not but a few minutes after, who left uh, in free agency after the 2020 season. So that was a nice little pickup for them, too. Also added Kyron Williams, a running back in the fifth round at number 164. Um, That was via a trade with the Raiders, Um, and he went from uh, Notre Dame. Should compete to get on field a little bit, but as we know, this is a really prolific offense in the Rams. So, you know, he's going to have to earn his stripes to get on there. Uh, Quentin Lake is the UCLA pick who they grabbed. Safety in the sixth round, number 211. Uh so obviously hometown kid that's great but probably again has a long way to go before he's actually competing for those starting reps but it's nice to see you know a local kid a UCLA kid so Quentin Lake pick up by the Rams Darian Kendrick also a cornerback in the 6th round um I wonder if there's a theme here with the Rams. (laughs) First of all, it's they do not not care about first-round picks. Get that out of here. Um, And they do seem to care a lot about this secondary. So Darian Kendrick in the sixth round from Georgia. Uh, This was a little uh, controversial. Is that the word I should say? Just because he had some off-the-field issues, if you will. He missed three games at Clemson uh, for uh, disciplinary reasons and then was dismissed from the program off to Georgia then. Um he also apparently faced like some legal issues in his draft profile so that had to be resolved as well but looks like the Rams are going to take this on. Um and in theory he should have gone earlier in the draft, right? So he should be able to outperform where he actually got drafted um if not for these behavioral issues if you will. So that's another pickup uh, for the secondary and then Daniel Hardy Uh, The edge they grabbed in the seventh round at number 235. That was via a trade with Tampa Bay. He's from Montana State. He'll compete on special teams, um, but I think they're expecting just a higher upside for him as his development kind of advances. Areas they could still improve. I thought that Jordan Rodrigue, who writes for The Athletic, covers the Rams, did a great job of of breaking this all down, so definitely check out her article as well if that's something that interests you for further reading. If not, just listen to me tell you all the good stuff. Um, But she did point this out. Obvious too. The Rams could add some tight end depth; would be great. That's also an area we kind of saw them struggle towards the start of the season when they had a shortage of that, and then the offense kind of sputtered and stuttered as a result. So, would like to see some more tight end depth and also a punter. Overall, did the Ra- the Rams like are are similar to the Dodgers to me, and like they're already a very rich team. They have Aaron Donald. They have their. I was going to say serviceable, which is so disrespectful to Matt Stafford, but. They have their quarterback that can actually win them a title as evidenced here. Um, and they have a, a, ton, a ton of talent, a ton of talent already. So the fact that they could go in and just focus so heavily on defense there um, says a lot about where this team is at. And I think they're in a good spot. And that explains the odds that we talked about. As for the Chargers, uh, Zion Johnson, their first pick, that was their only first round pick at number 17. Um this, again, similar to what we talked about with the Rams in their first pick, a plug-and-play guy. He's going to start right away at right guard, which is what they need. Uh, really powerful run blocker. How badly did the Chargers perform against the run games last year, right? Like, need we remember the, the Broncos game? Um, or pick a handful of others, frankly. So, great to have a good run blocker in there. Um, obviously, Matt Filer stay at left guard. Uh, Corey Lindsley... Johnson all in the mix. Now that's a pretty good trio on the interior should be able to handle both the pass and the run, which is what they need to be able to do is have both things going so that Justin Herbert doesn't have to just keep launching it. Give him a run game, let him breathe a little bit. Um, So that's nice to see. Uh, JT Woods, also another pickup by the chargers safety in the third round at number 79, Isaiah Spiller was a running back they picked up in the fourth round at number 123. That'll be nice. He can compete for the running back two spot uh, behind Eckler. Big, physical. That's what we like to see in a running back, obviously. Uh, And then here, a UCLA pick at number 160 in the fifth round, Otito Ogbonia, defensive lineman, six four, well over 300 pounds. Just a true nose tackle. Uh, good reach, huge hands, uh, really strong defender of the run. I know that there was questions with him in regards to his ability to uh, pass rush, I guess. And it re- was reflected a little bit in maybe how many sacks he had with UCLA. I don't know. I, I watched UCLA these last couple of years, and I don't know that you can blame him for that necessarily, directly. But yes, definitely not necessarily his strength. Definitely more uh, a defender of the run, if you will. So, that's exactly what the Chargers need. So it's almost like these guys know what they're doing. Jamari so- uh, Sallier, offensive lineman, also picked up in the sixth round. Jasur Taylor. Jasur, that is such a sick name. I hope he turns out to be as sick as his name is. Uh, a cornerback they grabbed in the sixth round. Uh, they also had Dean Le- Leonard, a cornerback in the seventh round. And uh, really just focusing on that (laughs) secondary there. And then Xander Horvath in the seventh round as well. So obviously, to sum it up, biggest need for the Chargers, protect Justin Herbert. That's what we wanted to see. That's it. And it was really frustrating, actually, during the season last year, watching the Chargers play week in and week out, as I was so callously forced to do in this position of mine. Um, Of course, joking. But Watching them and being like, oh, man, they're like this many pieces away from being so good. And if they could just defend against the run, just imagine. And so um, defending against the run being a huge thing for them and then defending Justin Herbert to be able to set up a more reliable run game for them would be just huge for this team. And they seem like they were really smart in how they approached this, actually. Finally, um, they went seven years without taking offensive linemen in the first round and now offensive linemen drafted in consecutive first rounds. That is called growth, everybody. We could all take a note. Um, So that should give a little bit more reliable run game um, and take the pressure off Justin Herbert a little bit. Overall, nice, nice work. Brandon Staley, head coach, and GM Tom Telesco. We'll give it up for him there. Um, So good things coming for LA football. It was already fun to watch last season, and now we have so many new toys to play with. It's great. Let's let's factor them in. Uh, Before we move on, From football. Uh, Let's talk about the USC football rumor mill, if you will. A little bit of gossip. Would it be an L.A. show without a little bit of a gossip section? Uh, It's not that. um, I always wonder with gossip, like, what percent of gossip is actually true. But it's kind of like jokes, like, oh, it's a joke, but, like, it stems from the truth. So I feel like this is a kind of tricky one, right? So basically, Jordan Addison from Pitt allegedly, possibly, rumored to be transferring to USC for what looks like a very large NIL deal as well. Now, of course, sources close to him are saying, no, like he's trying to pick his best opportunity for himself. Um, for those who don't know, uh, he's a Pittsburgh All-American. He won the um, Boletnikov Award as the country's top wide receiver in 2021. Caught 100 balls, 17 touchdowns um, via hits quarterback Kenny Pickett who was that top target in 2021. Um but next season of course he would have a new quarterback, new offensive coordinator and a new position coach. So it's understandable that he might want to leave for other reasons, but then it becomes well how are you going to pick your place and it's like oh it's going to be for best fit. No, it's also going to be about money because it can be now because of the NIL deals. Um there's been numbers floating around of upwards of 2 to 3 million, you know, which of course again We'll just say rumors, alleged. Um, but, of course, that brings up, like, a heated discussion, if you will, of what Lincoln Riley's been doing because it seems as if he was complaining about possible tampering and then turned around and did it himself. Anyways, um, not to make an accusation or anything. Plenty of people are already doing that. Um, but if you want to look at the positives of this, it, it doesn't seem completely crazy either for him to transfer to USC for a lot of reasons, one of them being uh, that he has a pre-existing relationship with their star quarterback, Caleb Williams, both from the Washington, D.C. area, so not completely out of the woods there. Um, It'll be interesting to see what this USC team actually ends up looking like because even Riley noted this, that they've taken 15 transfers since his hire in the offseason and that their roster is going to look dramatically different between their spring game last Last weekend and the start of their season. So still a long ways to go, apparently, for this program. It is going to be night and day from, from last season, I believe. And not just because Drake London is missing, and that was the only exciting thing to watch last season. But, um, I mean, when you have the cachet that Lincoln Riley brought with him to this gig in L.A., what else are you to expect, really? And you also have the um, <clears throat> deep, deep pockets of the USC donor base. Yeah. Must be nice to be a private university. All right, coming up, let's talk about baseball. The Angels are wrapping up their away series versus the White Sox on Monday morning. We'll look at it. And also the Dodgers series versus the Giants. It starts on Tuesday. This is the Los Angeles City Cast presented by Bett River Sportsbook. Bet Rivers has your bases covered with early week betting fun. Your baseball bet gets a little extra pop at Bet Rivers Sportsbook every Tuesday. Just log into Bet Rivers and receive a 20% profit boost on a baseball bet every Tuesday during the season. Use it on straight bets, player props, or a same game parlay. You decide, log on to the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com and get your 20% profit boost today. Welcome back into the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Let's talk about baseball. Don't worry, we'll talk about the NHL playoffs as well. That's coming up, but first we have to get into this baseball action because the Angels are starting early on Monday, 11, 10 a.m. to start this one off versus the White Sox. Wrap up the series, if you will. So, Angels right now, fifteen and eight record, seven and three on the road. First in the AL West, and they've won seven of their last eight games. Not too shabby. Not to mention they've won two of the three so far versus the White Sox, who have been underperforming, to say the least. Uh, They have lost three of their last four and 11 of 13. Um... So if we look back at game one on Friday, the Angels won here five to one Taylor Ward, Shohei Otani first inning lit it up solo home runs off Giolito of all pitchers. And if you remember from Friday's show, Adam Burke and I talked about how great of a pitching matchup this is going to be. And I think I wanted to bet nowhere in the first inning. I think something fortunately distracted me from it before this game, but sorry if you bet it, because my goodness, we thought this was going to be this really sharp pitching matchup. And then of course, How do you do that when you have Shohei Ohtani on this roster? Um, Which was really nice, actually, because it was Ohtani's fourth homer this season. But it was actually the end of a 10-game drought for him of not hitting home runs, which was kind of a boring time for us all. So he's back on track now. He had 46 last season. That was nice to see. Um, And yeah, Angels only had a three-hitter in this to get that six-straight win. Ward finished with three hits and two RBIs. Otani scored three runs. And the Angels actually had a little bit of a mishap here to start this one off that would have probably kept me off of this game also, um, or did rather keep this off as well. as They had to use seven pitchers to get this game done. Um, but they did it really well. It was very systematic. They had 18 straight White Sox batters retired uh, because Noah Syndergaard, who was their scheduled starter, we talked about, uh, did scratch. Because of an illness, apparently he'll be back. Not a big deal. But the Angels did have to kind of scramble and rally there. And this is not a non-worthy opponent, despite the fact that they haven't started the season as strong as one might have hoped or expected. That said, into game two on Saturday, the Angels do end up losing 4-0. to um, Suarez got the loss. He pitched four innings. He allowed eight hits, four earned runs, including two home runs. Uh, Meanwhile, the White Sox only allowed six hits. So really, really off night for the Angels here, but no surprise to me necessarily too, because again, that turnaround to the Friday's game was kind of crazy too. There's supposed to be really bad weather on Saturday. I don't know that that actually materialized, um, but definitely not surprised to see them drop a game here or there. Um, But the White Sox only allowing six hits is impeccable. Then game three on Sunday, the Angels win barely six to five. Here's how this went down. So Mike Trout looks incredible. He said that he actually doesn't feel completely confident yet. He said that sometimes he's up there, he gets a pitch he likes, and sometimes he's up there and he feels a little uncomfortable, which is so cute because we all think Mike Trout is like the best player in baseball. But he looks like great to to my eyes. He homered, he doubled, he walked three times, scored three runs, uh, and led the Angels to that win. He's batting 344. Uh, and has a 1.25 on-base percentage, and that leads the Major League. So whatever he's feeling, I hope he keeps feeling it. Uh, Meanwhile, the White Sox made this difficult. They scored five runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. So this was 6-0, and they were able to score five in the bottom of the ninth. So Shohei Otani also, of note, by the way, left this game with a right groin tenderness. that was in the ninth inning. Uh, he was 0-3 in that game with an RBI, but he does expect to play Monday. So, they're thinking when he was running to base, he kind of irritated something. He said via translator after that it was out of an abundance of caution, essentially, and that he was fine with it. Michael Lorenzen almost pitched his full game. He did allow nine hits and three earned runs in, what, eight and a third innings. Ryzel Iglesias came in, allowed two more runs... Uh, and Ryan Tapera finally came in. Angels were able to hold on to their lead. Tough loss for Angels run line betters. I was not on this because I, you know, I try to take some days off from betting, and I would have been livid because I love betting a run line actually with these LA teams because they just have so much firepower on the Angels, and the Dodgers are just so heavily loaded with their offense as well that I don't find that it's often a one-run game. In this situation, like they lose by a couple or they, you know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not these close, close games like this. So this is a perfect example though of what Adam Burke was talking about last week, which is the angels bullpen getting them into trouble. I mean, it was Michael Lorenzen, but why was he in there that many innings also is the question trying to do a complete game here. I understand, but look how it ended up with them. And then Raizel Iglesias comes in and and gets two more runs on the board for them. So the Angels kind of collapsing in those innings after the first five, six is a pattern that Adam was kind of pointing out and saying that, especially in the past, that's been an issue for the Angels. Have we seen it materialize as much this season? Maybe not. Again, very early in the season. But this was a perfect example of that as well. They were still able to hold on to the win, so that money line cashed. Now they're back in action for one last time against the White Sox. 11.10 a.m. Pacific time again angels are plus 108 on the money line on the run line so plus one and a half runs minus 200. the white Sox minus 125 on the money line and then minus one and a half runs they are plus 160 that is not exciting enough for me i would stick to the money lines in this game pick the side you like uh, I don't have a side I love in this, and that is just because there seems to be high variability with this Angels team sometimes. And this pitching matchup is rather intriguing. Total for this game at 7.5. Expected high temperature is 58 degrees, uh, negligible winds from the south, 5 to 10 miles per hour. Thought I'd include some weather for you guys as well. So. You already know how I feel about this Angels offense. They rank first in the MLB with 110 runs scored this season. They have a 256 batting average this uh, season. 28 home runs, second in the league. Um, meanwhile, on the opposite side of this, we have the White Sox offense, which has scored the fifth fewest runs in the league this season, which is 69 or 3.3 per game. If we look at the mound in this matchup particularly, Patrick Sandoval, lefty uh, on the mound here, He's had three games pitching, uh, three games of pitching so far this season, with 15 innings pitched. He last pitched on the 26th versus the Guardians. He does have five days rest versus Dylan uh, Dylan Cease, who will be on the opposite, uh, will be starting for the White Sox. Uh, Dylan Cease on four days rest, I believe. So Patrick Sandoval on five days rest. He last pitched versus the Guardians, a game that the Angels did win four to one. He pitched seven innings there, allowed two hits, had nine strikeouts, and zero earned runs. So very, very nice there. Uh, Zero ERA is what it's showing me here, and a 1.0 whip. Regardless, really, really solid um, starter for the Angels here. He's also the first traditional starter in Angels history to not allow an earned run in each of his first three starts in a season. So not just last game that looked good. As I mentioned, White Sox offense, I am not impressed with. They rank 27th in the league with 149 total hits, and they slug a collective 351, which is 19th in the league, and have 19 total home runs, 16th in the MLB. So it's not horrendous, but it's not that exciting the way that the Angels is, of course. But their pitcher here is pretty exciting. Dylan Cease here, the righty. He's got two wins under his belt, one loss so far this season in four games pitched. 22 innings pitched. He last pitched on 427. So, like I said, four days rest as opposed to Sandoval getting five. Uh, he pitched first the Royals. The team did win seven to three. He has had eight or more strikeouts in three of the last four games that he's pitched. So, he's pitched four games, and in three of those, he's had eight or more strikeouts. I would love to look at a strikeout prop for this game. You better believe I will be. Uh, his ERA right now, 3.27, and his whip, 1.18. He is also in the odds for the AL Cy Young uh, at plus 850 on Bet Rivers. That's fourth shortest odds at Bet Rivers right now. So, as you can imagine, <laughs> very low total here, seven and a half. Uh, also, by the way, I don't even think I mentioned that with the game on Sunday. Imagine going into like the bottom of the ninth and it's six to zero or whatever, and you're like, oh yeah, my unders looking great, and then the Angels allow five runs to be scored, just atrocious. Um, and for that reason, very difficult for me to look at full game plays for the Angels right now. And I know that Adam Burke and I talked about this and handicapping that, and. Maybe looking at a full game, for example, on the White Sox for that reason, expecting the Angels to perhaps collapse in those final moments. But look, they were still able to carry this out uh, and get this win in game three, even though they completely almost lost it. So for that reason, it's really tough for me to play totals on them. And frankly, tough to play those first inning bets now. They are a fun one to play yes run in the first innings on, but I don't like to play yeses as much as I like to play nos. I find a little bit more value on the noes sometimes. And it's just so tough to tell when the game's going to be that Shohei Otani's going to come out and just hit a home run right off the bat. Why not? Uh, Angels in general, beyond Shohei, have a league-best 431 slugging percentage and 335 on-base percentage, uh, which ranks third-best in the league. So, yes, a yes run in the first inning. When they face a a pitcher that I will be excited to fade, if you will, that's going to be when you're looking for the yes run. And of course, the odds are going to reflect that. So maybe it's not as exciting. So we'll try to find a couple of value value uh, plays when we have the appropriate pitcher to do it against. I don't think Cease is the one. So if anything, maybe there's a no run to look here. But again, the Angels are hitting yeses more than no's in that first inning. That was a lot of time on first inning bets that some people care about and a lot of people don't. But I love betting them. Uh, ESPN gives the Angels a 50.1% probability of winning this game. Uh, and I took Angels' run line, but I took an alternate run line. So I took Angels' minus one and a half. I didn't take the plus one and a half because, no, not enough bang for my buck. This is just out of pure greed. Again, I just think they have the firepower that if they're going to win this, they're going to win it by more than one. Yes, I know. We just talked about the six to five game on Sunday, but I took Angels' minus one and a half at plus 188. Uh, that's your option up on Bet Rivers. You can do your little slider scale on there, which is really nice And when you click on more bets. So you can also get angels minus one if you want something a little safer if you're worried about a six-to-five situation again. And you can get that at plus 155. Or you could just play the money line at plus 108 and not be so greedy like me. But I wanted that plus 188. So that's what I have going on for that game, putting a lot of faith in the angels where I probably shouldn't especially with Cease on the mound for the White Sox. We'll see how it plays out for me. The Dodgers will be in action as well, but not until Tuesday. They are 14-7 right now. Let's look back at their Tiger series. So on Friday, they kicked off their series versus the Tigers, uh, and they won 5-1. to one. No shock there again. Not even close. Like That's why I'm saying run lines are the way to go for the Dodgers. They've been killing it with those. This was the Tyler versus Tyler game. Tyler A versus Tyler A. Tyler Anderson versus Tyler Alexander. And Tyler Anderson earns the win for the Dodgers. He allowed one earned run on five hits in five innings. Struck out three, walked one. Great work. Uh, he's 2-0 and now so far to start his season. As for the other Tyler, Alexander, He's now 0-3, made his first career start versus the Dodgers, obviously didn't go the way he was planning. He allowed four earned runs in two and a third innings. Unfortunate. But we had the superior Tyler here uh, with the Dodgers, Tyler Anderson. And also, again, hearkening back to what Adam Burke was talking about last week was that he thought that Tyler Anderson just needed to be in the right environment and that maybe this will be the one where he thrives. And based on the numbers I've seen uh, from Tyler Anderson in seasons past – I was excited to see him out there as well, and it seems like it is, it is a good fit so far. Justin Turner, Chris Taylor, hit their first home runs this season. I just – this team is so fun on any given night. It's just home run, home run, home run. Uh, Justin Turner has been hitting extremely well, so it's nice to see him finally get that one out of the park. Um, we know he can kind of be a slow start sometimes, uh, but he had a two-out, two-run homer on an 0-2 pitch from Tyler Alexander in the very first inning. So again, we talk about these first-inning bets being so stressful with these teams in particular, the Dodgers and the Angels. These are not really teams, actually. When I bet a ton of first-inning bets last season, I'm trying to get back in the habit of betting a couple of these uh, a day. But I used to bet a couple of these a day last year, and it went fairly well. And What was interesting, too, was that the Dodgers and the Angels were a team that I didn't often... The Dodgers, I would often bet a no run, especially if you had a Clayton Kershaw or even Julio Urias or whatever, right, out there. And was against a particularly bad offensive team, let's say, right? Pretty straightforward. But the Angels were a team that I found myself betting yes runs on more than no's, which is understandable also with their makeup of their team. And both of them were not teams that I was frequently betting first innings with it was It was often other teams. I remember honestly fading the White Sox a lot of the time too, doing no runs of the first innings with them um so that said, i'll have to get back in the mix and I'll have to look outside these l a teams because they are maddening with these first innings just because they have such loaded offensive talent that can go off in the first inning. No problem. Game two Saturday, the Dodgers actually ended up losing to the Tigers five to one Kershaw pitched six innings. He had four hits, one earned run and seven strikeouts. I bet his strikeouts prop. I didn't check it before this game. I imagine it was seven and a half. That's usually what it's sitting around or higher. Um, Never a never a play I would want to bet under on, but it does seem like it's been basically set a little bit too high. So I'd be interested in looking the next time he pitches at maybe looking at some kind of under on his strikeout prop, depending on where we're at with the uh, opponent and whatnot. Evan Phillips comes in after Kershaw and allows three more runs in the top of the seventh before he was pulled. Jacob Barnes gets the win for the Tigers, uh, five to one. Again, they didn't lose by one run here. Like this was just. It's like you're close or you're not even close, right um, or not not you're close but you're basically you're winning this by a lot or you're losing by a lot is what I meant to say there Game three Sunday Dodgers won six to three Walker Bueller pitched five scoreless innings uh Bueller by the way, first career shutout in his last game before this he had to get 23 pitches in in the first inning to get it done but he was able to avoid trouble um I don't know what it is about Walker Bueller that I just, want so badly for him to do well. And sometimes he makes it a little bit more difficult than it needs to be, but he is a fighter. Uh, He did a lot of six hits, but he struck out five and only walked one. So we will call that solid, solid work by Bueller, uh, Miguel Cabrera on the other side scored his 503rd career home run and his first this season, which was something. Um, and also back to the Bueller thing, he hasn't allowed a run in over 14 consecutive innings, so that is something as well. Um, so, of course, he was not the one that Cabrera hit his home run off of. He hit a two-run homer off of the reliever, Phil Bickford, in the eighth inning, which helped them avoid a shutout but not got them the win. The Dodgers still won 6-3. to three. Again, notice the three-run win. Freddie Freeman, para hits, drove in a run. Mookie Betts scored two runs uh, on any given night, right? I mean, we're just talking about or Justin Turner and Chris Taylor. And now we're talking about Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts lighting it up. It's just on any given night, it's really difficult to even predict who it's going to be for the Dodgers. And it's no surprise. They have an ATS record right now of 12 and six in 18 games, Um, 13 and six money line uh, with the money line and seven and two at home, six and one against the run line at home. So with that said, they are going to be home versus the Giants on Tuesday and they're going to be heavy favorites here. Like, you're going to have to lay $2 perhaps, are they? No, it'll be like a coin flip perhaps. Um. My question is, what are the Giants going to look like? Because they had some weekend woes, if you will. They returned from a four-city trip, included a sweep at Nationals Park. They had to play last weekend series without Lamont Wade Jr., Evan Longoria, and Tommy Lestella. They also ended up without Mike Yastrzemski, their leadoff hitter. Uh, who is still in quarantine. He's waiting for two negative PCR tests so he can get back on the active roster. And also before Friday's game for them, Brandon Belt, down with COVID too. So no surprise, they lost the first and third game to the Nationals, still rallied to get that second one done. But it was a really, really rough weekend for the Giants. The pitching staff gave up 12 hits on an 11-5 loss on Sunday. So the three-game series total, 45 hits in 27 innings. It was one of the worst-pitched weekends in Oracle Park's history. So really rough all around. Uh, like I said, next up, two-game series of the Dodgers. It'll be Julio Urias on the mound, so the lefty, and then Carlos Rodon, the lefty opposite. Uh, Urias is 1-1 one one so far this season. Rodon is 3-0. and oh. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a really low total. I would love to bet an under, even the first five. It's going to be not good value, probably, at this point, but if you can find something. Uh, Urias has pitched 18 innings most recently versus the D backs. The LA did go on to lose that one, three to one. Um, he's allowed one earned run or less, so zero, in his last three games and two or less hits in his last three games. If you want to bet, even I've seen on Bet Rivers, under to, like the amount of total hits in the game. That might be something where you can find some value because it's a more obscure prop. So total hits in the game. Perhaps you'd look at under for this with Urias and Rodon on the mound. Um, Urias, by the way, 7-1 and with a 1.55 ERA um, in those games. Rodon most recently pitched versus the A's on Tuesday, April 26. The Giants went on to win that 8-2. Rodone has not allowed more than three hits and one earned run in his four games so far this season. So again, not a lot of hits going to be going on. You of course have to handicap those bullpens as well. If you're going to look at those under the total hits, um, but I feel good about that still also Rodone's had eight or more strikeouts per game in those four games, eight or more. He had 12 in his first and nine in two others. And then one had eight. So if you want to look at a strikeout prop, those are great numbers to go off of as well. He has a 1.17 ERA and get a load of this whip 0.83 killer. I'll look to the under in this game and probably a no run in the first inning. Somebody help me coming up. NHL playoffs start Monday. Kings at Oilers game one. We'll look at it really quickly. This is the Los Angeles city cast presented by bet river sports. Welcome back into the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bett River Sportsbook. One last thing to look at because it is going on on Monday. Kings at Oilers Game 1 NHL playoffs are here. Stanley Cup, here we come. Just kidding. The Kings are not favored to win this series versus the Oilers. In this first game, on the money line, Kings plus 170. The Oilers minus 139. Uh, or excuse me, minus 200. Kings on the puck line is minus 139. The Oilers on the puck line plus 118. Total for this one, 6.5, just slightly juiced to the under. So, again, the Athletics did a great NHL playoff preview on this, and I tried my best to follow my ways through it and look for my key notes that are going to apply to bets in this series. So, basically, it seems like two teams that are just happy to be here, more so the Kings. They started off with, you know, Basically, we talked with Andy McNeil when this season was getting underway, our v hockey analyst, and he talked about how the Kings and the Ducks were these young teams that were going to be good in the coming years, but this was probably not their year. Playoffs were probably a long shot. But the Kings came out, you know, dealt with a lot of injuries along the way, but somehow stumbled their ways into playoffs. So, yes, very happy to be here. Opposite, the Oilers started really strong, but kind of lost their way in the middle of the season. Then they got the new coach, Jay Woodcroft, After that, market improvement. They went from an average team offensively, the one that can create a lot more offense uh, on a more consistent basis. So that was a huge change for them. And I think the Kings have underperformed a little bit, it appears, that based on the quality of their shots, they were expected to be closer to 178 goals this season. They were actually at 153. So that is more representative maybe of uh, a team that has a good system but maybe lacks the talent. And speaking of talent... The biggest reason that the Oilers are so heavily favored in the series is apparently because they have McDavid and Seidel, Uh, And the Kings don't really have stars, really. I mean, Drew Doughty is out for the rest of the year. Wrist surgery, looks like full recovery, should be back next season. But they just don't have their their star, if you will. Um, meanwhile, the Oilers have two of the top, top players. So McDavid and Drisaitl, opposite lines usually... But there's going to be plenty of time that they're together, and they can try to overload that Kings defense. That said, the Kings defense is their strength. I I feel like we're forgetting that here. I think Denault and Kopitar could make things difficult for McDavid. Um, and also, key to note, McDavid and Drayson haven't won a playoff series in five years. And I apologize if I'm butchering these names. It's hockey, and it's real tough. That said, um, they haven't won a playoff series in five years. And was that all on them? No, it was probably due to bad defense or goaltending, but it is something to note. Uh, cool battle in net here, too. Talented veterans, Mike Smith, Jonathan Quick. That's We love a good storyline. The last time they met was in 2012 playoffs when they were both more at their talent peak. Um, and now maybe a little bit more seasoned. Smith ranks 18th in the league with 7.8 goals saved above expected. But... More recently, over his last 15 games, he has a .936 uh, and has saved 15.7 goals above expected, which tops out the league. So really hitting the right moments or hitting his best uh, stride in the right moments. In uh, On the other side of things for Jonathan Quick, uh, I mean... People, I think, think of Quick back in 2012, 13, 14 postseason because he saved way more goals than expected was one of their best players. Um, But we haven't seen him as much since then. So it's no surprise here that the Kings are just lacking a little bit of talent depth that the Oilers are going to bring to the table. But I think that the Oilers are overvalued and take that for what it's worth because my hockey opinion is, is not worth much. But we're here to make bets and the Kings series price gives them at least... I mean, less than a 35% implied probability to make it to round two. Uh, Kings to advance is plus 198 on bet rivers. I've seen shorter odds elsewhere. So these are actually pretty good numbers here. Almost getting uh plus 200 here. Oilers, meanwhile, minus 250 to advance. And if you want to get spicy here, uh, the Oilers minus one and a half is minus 114. And the Kings, uh, to, and this is of course being series prices. So the Kings to win, uh by more than two games, so four to two. Kings minus one and a half is plus two ninety-five. Kings to win this. If you are like, no, the Oilers are completely overrated. Kings to win in six games. So when four to two is plus six fifty. And Kings to win in seven games is seven to one plus seven hundred. So you lay a hundred, you win seven hundred. Uh, And the Oilers to win in seven is plus 450. So a little bit of series prices may be worth a look, especially if you have a strong lean on how this series is going to play out. Like I said, Drew Doughty out for the rest of the year for the Kings, So maybe the odds makers not expecting a lot from them, but keep in mind LA went seven, four, and one during April, despite his absence. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic that these Kings are going to have a little bit of fight in them. It doesn't seem like the series prices also reflect that they think it's going to be like just a complete demolishing of the Kings. I think there's going to be some fight here. They definitely have playoff experience, but they haven't won a postseason series since their cup win in 2014. So over the last seven years, they've made the playoffs twice and lost in the first round both times. That's unfortunate. The teams met twice. No, four times this season. Uh, Edmonton won three of those four times. McDavid scored in all but one of those games. If you're looking for somebody at a scoring prop, uh, that might be worth a look. Overall, I think we see a good fight out of the Kings, but it's not something I want to get involved in, especially on this first game. I'd like to see how it plays out and then go from there. They'll be back in action on Wednesday as well, as will I. Thank you so much for listening to the Los Angeles CityCast. New shows Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm back on Wednesday. Hope you will be too for more of the Los Angeles City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook.